0: You are listening to a Raw Collective Podcast. Hello and welcome to What Matters Most, a podcast hosted by me, Antonia Frevel, and my good friend, Jackie Maguire, who also happens to be a clinical psychologist. Together, we will explore everyday issues that make up the moral and cultural climate of our era, Issues that have a real impact on how we experience and feel about our lives. I hope you get as much out of them as we do. Well, hello everyone and welcome to today's episode of What Matters Most. Hello, Jackie. Hello,
1: Antonia. Nice to be here.
0: Isn't it? Lovely to be here. So today we're going to talk about a topic that's close to my heart because it's one that I fully identify with, (laughs) and that is sensitivity and being a sensitive person or even being a highly sensitive person. So I have known that I'm a very sensitive person for a long time. And it was funny when I was actually wanting to do a bit of prep for this show, I went onto my Kindle and searched books on sensitivity so I could do some research. And anyway, my bloody Kindle wasn't letting me buy this particular book. I was like, what's going on? What's going on? Turns out it wasn't letting me buy it because I'd bought that book back in 2012.
1: <laughs> <laughs> had you read that book in 2012 or had sat idle in your Kindle?
0: Yeah, good question. It was called The Highly Sensitive Person's Survival Guide. And I think I, oh yeah, I'd gotten a few chapters in. So I, I gave it a, another, um, bits of it, a quick read this time. But so clearly showing that this has been something that's been on my mind (laughs) for a long time. And I've kind of had an interesting journey, if I can use that word with sensitivity, because I've had experiences of it being reflected back to me as both a positive and a negative trait. So I have had people say to me, you are way too sensitive as a, a negative thing. And I've also, in a more creative setting, had it said to me by acting teachers as a positive thing. Because I think in the creative arts, being sensitive is almost part of the course. It comes with the territory. Like Pretty much everyone is. I dare to say you kind of have to be to be an actor. I don't, that's a big statement. Maybe I don't stand by it, but I think it's very common to be sensitive. So I've I've had it reflected back to me as also a positive thing. And I am similarly ambivalent about it. I can see that it has positive traits and aspects of it that are more challenging. So I am very interested In our chat today, Jackie, and what I will learn from you (laughs) about this topic. But I guess the first question is what are we talking about when we're saying that someone is sensitive or highly sensitive? And I guess the adjunct question to that is do we need to make a distinction for our purposes today between being sensitive or being highly sensitive? Because being highly sensitive is sort of like the medical term. That's not quite the right phrase, the word, but you know what I mean, right? Like that's what people talk about. Well,
1: yeah, when you look through the, re- the research, the literature, the thinking around sensitivity, the phrase that you're most commonly going to find is highly sensitive person or HSP. You might see that, you know, phrase around. And an uh, American researcher called Elaine Aaron in the 90s came up with this term. Uh, actually, I think very much thinking around Herself and her life, and her work as an academic, and and parenting, and really trying to find a concept. To frame, to think about what it's like for some people that have got sensory processing sensitivity. So that's the kind of clinical term that would sit behind it. So I think what might be useful to start with, if we use that term highly sensitive person, because I think that really is what we're talking about, what actually does that mean? What characterizes a highly sensitive person? And how does it differ? To some other things. That might be a really good kind of ground based zero to start with. And you know, if you say, Hi, I'm Antonia, I'm a highly sensitive person, well, I will reflect back to you, hi, I'm Jackie, I'm a highly sensitive person. And
0: Oh, hi uh, Jackie, my highly uh, sensitive person, hi. friend. Maybe that's why we're <laughs> such good friends. We're both Maybe. very aware of our own sensitivities. <laughs>
1: But it's interesting, right? I too can see the positives and negatives of this trait. And I was really surprised actually when I reviewed the literature again before recording this episode that some researchers are now calling this a personality trait. And that's a big statement to make because personality trait is stable. It means it's pretty difficult really to ever shift that in life. And the early work, or very much some of the other thinking around high sensitivity, is that it's a difference in how your brain processes. It's the way you your brain is uniquely wired and it's wired in a way to have that sensitive processing going on for sensory information. And, you know, I'll break that down in a second, but when you start to look through the literature, you know, Elaine Aaron would have said in the 90s, you know, probably back then that maybe 15% of the population identifies as a highly sensitive person. Now, Probably the the common number that comes through is 20 or 25%. But some pieces of research are now showing that a third or 30% of people identify as highly sensitive. So, you know, that's quite a significant proportion of the population. So we're not actually that unique to be sitting here, the both of us, saying, when I read this stuff, it feels and sounds like me. So when you break it down, Elaine, and let's just call her Elaine, even though... She's got far fancier titles than that, but we'll uh, invite her as our imaginary third friend into this conversation, given she really is the pioneer. I think she'd be fine with that. She has an acronym, DOES, and each letter of that word DOES stands for a characteristic of high sensitivity. So the D is the depth of processing. So part of... Being a highly sensitive person is that your brain is wired to think very deeply about all the information that is coming into it. So, what does that mean? That means that often highly sensitive people are very acutely aware of what's going on for them, for others, in the world around them. Uh, Highly sensitive people have very attuned self-reflective thought. So they will think deeply about themselves, their actions, their viewpoints. You know, you really think through uh, the implications of your beliefs, your actions, the impacts of those, Um, but also really deeply wired for emotion reflection. So how do I feel about that? Why do I feel this way? Has something impacted that? So if you just think about the, I suppose, depth or time or complexity in which a highly sensitive person really does reflect and think around themselves, others in the world that comes out in terms of how people make decisions on how you decide what you value, on how much you think about who you're going to vote for in the upcoming election this year and uh, what school you send your child to and whether you should work for a certain organisation or not, like all of those thoughts, a highly sensitive person person, all those decisions, would take very seriously and really think very deeply about those things. The other part, I suppose, that stood out to me in this research, maybe maybe because I really uh, felt a sense of kinship with it, was that highly sensitive people take feedback very seriously, again, too, with that um, level of deep thought. So a highly sensitive person will want your feedback, but they also will take it seriously. If you are a highly sensitive person or you're managing a highly sensitive person or you're married to a highly sensitive person you know be really cognizant and aware about the feedback you give because the other person on the receiving end will take it seriously
0: and take it really personally and take it very personally like if it's negative feedback that would be very hard for them to hear
1: yes or very painful or very hurtful or may put their whole existence or way of being into question so, you know, if somebody's yeah. given me this thinking, I am, what does that mean? How have others perceived me? What's been the consequential flow on effect of that throughout my life? Like, if you're giving me that feedback, I will take it very seriously on board. And that's something myself personally, I've had to. Um, Grass with and grapple with, and learn how to really learn how to put boundaries around who I take feedback from. We're probably jumping in this podcast now to how you manage this, but we'll
0: get there, everyone. Everyone who's like, I relate, I we'll relate. We'll get there.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that feeling of only take feedback from someone that you look up to, like that's a saying that has really helped me because I would take on anybody's feedback and take that seriously. But actually, is there feedback worthy of my deep, complex processing?
0: That's such a good tool to take into even like social media or get you know getting comments from people you don't even know perhaps on social media or you might know them but they're not someone you look up to because that is often the place where really hurtful comments can come through because it's a lot easier to to say them so if you do get some negative feedback on social media if you keep that in your head that's a really great anchor isn't
1: it yeah who is giving me the feedback and are they worthy of my deep processing So the O in does stands for overstimulation. And I think when people have initial thoughts around high sensitivity, they would think about overstimulation to physical sensations, foods, to taste, to light, to noise, to temperature. So, when you think about the sensory stimuli that live around us, you know, highly sensitive people, yes, probably notice the fly that's buzzing in the room and that will absolutely drive them crackers. I'm going to start using my own personal examples now. <laughs> you know, the highly sensitive people are probably very sensitive to temperature. I hate summer for sleeping. You know, I really find it difficult to sleep in the heat or if I'm outside, I am very aware of hot temperatures. People may have love, you know, absolutely love and indulge in amazingly beautiful food. Like, the, you know, this, this is not a negative trait. It is just a trait. So mm-hmm. you can have really amazing sensory experiences because you are so acutely aware of them. You might absolutely love your coffee in the morning and that sets you up. And on the other hand, anything that's slightly off or not, to your taste might be absolutely uh, intensified for you. So I think that's probably not surprising to people. What I would like to widen that category to, though, is that you can be overstimulated or acutely aware of people Of emotions, of dynamics in groups. So that overstimulation or that acute sensitivity to stimuli can also relate to, for example, somebody else's mood. Mm. I am acutely aware of their tone, of their body posture, of the vibe they bring in. You know, it can be, for example, if you are a leader in an organization, you are acutely aware whether this process is going well or not. You are aware of who's spoken in the room and who hasn't. You know, you're probably very in tune. Elaine would talk about high intuition that comes kind of hand in hand with highly sensitive people, you know, to dynamics, people, mood, groups. And so I don't think that often gets talked about. Mm. And I think that's really important when you think about the impact of high sensitivity, which can be a benefit some of that if you are aware of group dynamics of people around, you're probably much more likely to respond to that, to pick it up early, to nip things in the bud, to make adjustments where you need. That's really helpful. You know, the other side for a highly sensitive person is it's bloody draining. If you're aware of everybody's dynamic shifts, mood around them, part of that deep cognitive processing coupled with that might be, I feel responsible for making sure that group processes or dynamics or people are okay. Imagine how tiring and draining that is for people.
0: I do that. That's exactly like you're describing my life (laughs) to a T. Whenever I'm in a group, yeah, I'm totally aware of where everyone's at and to the so kind of just waiting to see the minute sign that someone might not be okay. Or even a, a nuance yeah. or even a hint of that. And I'm like ready to manage everyone's emotions. And yeah, it's it's really tiring.
1: <laughs> so my question to you then, because let's just jump around here. When you are in a group situation, even just say with your bestest friends or your family, if you are at a dinner table and you are what you are describing to me there is on edge or hypervigilant mm-hmm. for people's states, their moods, their reactions. Are you enjoying yourself? Can you relax and be present? Or have you kind of got a, a third eye almost on the group as you're sitting there trying to engage and being present yourself?
0: Yeah, a lot of the time I'm enjoying myself to a certain extent, but there's a part of me that is sitting back, not being present in the flow of things and making sure that everyone is okay. Question. Does that have a particular number of people where that starts to occur? Like in a smaller group, is that as present for you? That's so interesting. It's not as present. I reckon my favorite way of catching up with people is having dinner with like three other people. So like me and Dan and another couple or two friends. So like a group of four, Very good for me. (laughs) One-on-one, really like one-on-one. I'd say anything above four I start to find stressful because of this exact issue. Same. Clearly
1: Antonia and I through this podcast are going to find out that we're soulmates through this. (laughs) So I absolutely identify with that myself too. Uh, It's something I have had to learn to manage. I think I'm much better at it now because I'm very aware of it. It's interesting, right, because the O and does is overstimulation. So it's not that you are hyper-aware and hyper-alert to all social stimuli, to all dynamics, it's when it gets too much, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that's really important to remember. And so I too would be the same, you know, dinner parties where there's eight people for me, I often don't enjoy it. Even though I might love all seven other people sitting at that table, the dynamic is pretty difficult for me to sit and relax and enjoy.
0: It's like the total is greater than the sum of its parts, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And I often get exhausted by it rather than energised, which if I'm one-on-one or in a group of kind of two or three, I absolutely get energised for people. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really important here as we just are smart people and weave concepts through this discussion, that some people say, is high sensitivity the same as introversion? And the answer is no to that. Actually up to a third of highly sensitive people are extroverts. And so i I get energy from people. I love being around people. But if I've had too many people around me, that's where the overstimulation, the Owen oh does the overstimulation comes from. That's what I find fatiguing and tiring. That's what I need to go away and retreat from afterwards and recover. So I think it's really important we don't confound introversion and high sensitivity.
0: So you're with me so far? I am. And I'm actually kind of having like a, Lightning bolt moment because I think I have my whole life conflated introversion with sensitivity and I've when people have said oh are you an introvert or an extrovert I'll I say oh I think I'm an introvert like I do love people but I need to recharge on my own which you know often is the definition of an introversion but hearing you talk I think that yeah in many ways I am an extrovert because I do often get fed from other people. And I really kind of crave being around people. I really enjoy it some of the time. (laughs) But yeah, when it gets too much, that's when I need to go home and recharge. So yeah, maybe I'm a sensitive extrovert all this time. Just thought I was an introvert. Exactly. I know. (laughs) See,
1: I am glad that this podcast is providing a helpful discussion for us as well as everybody else. That's (laughs) right, we're all learning with you. (laughs) So the E in does then stands for emotional reactivity. And really what that stands for, or what you can break it down to, is highly sensitive people are known in their neural circuitry or the way in which their brain is wired to really be very aware and to process deeply emotions to react or respond to emotions in a larger way than other people might. Also, the second part to that. So there's two kind of parts to the E. One is I'm highly emotive or reactive to emotional things. The other part to that is I have great empathy for other people. So I can feel what other people are feeling. And as a psychologist or anyone that has studied, you know, Psych 101 listening to this, you know i talk about often that emotions are contagious so we feel what other people are feeling but highly sensitive people really feel what other people are feeling. They can connect deeply where somebody is coming from. So if someone is in pain that is around you, you will feel their pain. You know, if someone is in joy, you will highly feel their joy with them. And so, you know, again, there are pros and cons, like all of this, to that high emotional reactivity. You will experience probably the highest of highs in life. You know, the best of the celebration, the awe of being in, nature, the wonder of curiosity, all of that stuff you get to experience in in real peak intensity if you're a highly sensitive person. The downside to that, though, is, right, if you're sad, guilty, anxious, lost, disappointed, upset, you will also feel those things deeply too. And so, you know, you can talk about that at a surface level, But then I think later, Antonia, we need to say, how does that, for example, impact at work or impact in our relationships? Because there are flow-on effects, right, if we feel things deeply. Like if we are disappointed with someone and we acutely feel that disappointment and we might feel that disappointment for a long time or it takes a longer time to process, how does that then impact our actions? What standards do we hold people to, et cetera? So... You know, I think it is important to really acknowledge there is no good or bad around this. It is a trait. It is how people are wired. There are pros and cons. But that E does stand for I'm emotive, I'm highly reactive to emotions, and I feel very deeply for other people. The S is... I sense the subtle differences. I sense the subtle changes. So again, you can think of changing environments or temperatures or tastes or atmospheres, or you'll sense the difference if you're a highly sensitive person, but also with people, right? So again, if someone's mood shifts, you'll sense that, you know, you'll be the person that picks up if someone's got a new haircut or if someone has changed a piece of furniture around in their house or, you know, like highly sensitive people, absolutely pick up the very subtle differences. You know, spot the difference in life, you'll be the winner at that game. So, you know, if you take that acronym, really deep, complex processing, overstimulation to stimuli, emotional reactivity and empathy and sensitive to subtle change, If you take that as a bundle, that's probably a much wider and comprehensive look at high sensitivity to what some people may think about when they first hear that term.
0: It really is. uh, To me, the the on-the-street version or understanding of sensitivity is the E, is someone who reacts very emotionally to things. You know, like, oh, you're so sensitive, oh, you're too sensitive, which I think is how to this point sensitivity is usually portrayed as a somewhat negative thing and something to do with emotions. So it's really great to hear that, yes, while that is one aspect, it's not just about our emotional systems. It's about every system. It's about our sight. It's about our hearing. It's about our sense of smell. It's about how we feel temperature. It's not just about being emotional, like being sensitive does not equal being emotional and that, se- that seems like a really important distinction to make because I'm sure, like me, so many people out there have been told that they are sensitive, that they are too sensitive and that's meant as a derogatory thing for them to feel bad about and to feel like it's a flaw.
1: But what you're starting to scratch the surface of there is how this trait then interacts with societal norms or societal attitudes, which is, you know, does the way in which we live in a Western world value high sensitivity or instead do people focus on that harden up? don't be too soft, you know, you're too sensitive. And if you look at that view of it, you know, how is a highly sensitive person actually ever supposed to take hold of and nurture the many amazing aspects of high sensitivity? You know, the research actually shows, Antonia, that up to 100 species you can find high sensitivity present because if you think about it from an evolutionary... In the animal kingdom. In the animal kingdom, 100 species have shown... (gasps) to have high sensitivity, because that deep processing, aware of subtle change, overstimulation, they're all amazing survival techniques, right, from an evolutionary point of view. That's an advantage when you start to think of 30%, you know, getting to the upper range of the proportion of society that may experience high sensitivity. You can see that there are benefits from that, but I think it's as we grow to have better understanding as a society around this, given so many of us experience it, then actually perhaps some of those derogatory, ill-informed, unhelpful sayings that get bandied about might start to diminish and we can have actually a far more insightful and intellectual conversation around both the pros and cons to this
0: trait. And how we can use our sensitivity to its advantage.
1: Absolutely. And how we help people be aware of the downsides to that and then find tools to manage it.
0: So it definitely seems that in New Zealand, we are not a society that naturally endorses sensitivity or where people who lead with that element of themselves are going to be particularly warmly received because we are the harden up culture, and that has so many negative ramifications that everyone is aware of. And it just is making me think that whilst it's can be pretty challenging to be a highly sensitive female, it must be way more challenging to be a highly sensitive male in New Zealand or in another country that has similarly non-sensitive <laughs> approaches to the world, right? Like, it seems to be very aligned with femininity, even as a trait, And it strikes me that it would be even harder for a man to kind of admit or identify to being sensitive because it's just not a trait that has value. I think it's
1: really important to give credit to some aspects of New Zealand that we can't paint all of New Zealand with the we're a hardened up culture. I think there definitely has been historically, I think there probably very much is still that attitude in parts of New Zealand. But I also think, I imagine, for example, your arts community Antonia. If mm-hmm. you were a highly sensitive male in the arts world, that would be very different to perhaps working in, a, in another industry yeah. in this country. For sure. I, I think of my family where my mum's a psychologist, my dad's a social worker. You know, if you were a highly sensitive male in my family, you wouldn't be told to harden up, mm-hmm. you know, but that might be very different to the neighbours, for example. Yeah, If any of my neighbours are listening to that, I, I am not <laughs> saying it's you, it was a figure of, figure of speech. So, you know, I think it is really important, important to go, you've got to take it system by system, group by group. But yes, if you are in an archetypal old school, men have to be the leader, men have to appear staunch, men have to appear in control all the time. Like if you're coming from a system with that viewpoint, yeah, I think it absolutely would be pretty tough to be a highly sensitive male in that environment. But also, I think probably for highly sensitive females in that same environment, they are also probably told to, you know, don't be a princess, don't take things so personally, you know, you just need to get on with it. So I'm imagining actually anyone in
0: that system would find things difficult. And have to hide parts of themselves, right? Like, that's what, you might naturally think you have to do if you feel that certain parts of your personality are not welcome in an environment then you you try to shut those down
1: yeah, or suppress them or mask them. And then what's, what energy does that take? Oh, so much. And if you're having to live that way, what's your likelihood of ever actually being able to flourish mm. to really be yourself and get the most out of who you are and your traits? Mm. And look, I think it's really important to like, let's be frank, there are some downsides to high sensitivity. The downsides are you can be easily offended. Someone may say something and you take it deeply personal, or you spend a long time thinking about it and it was a flyaway comment from someone. A non-highly sensitive person may be able to Take that on the chin. Maybe, you know, like I'm thinking politically at the end of last year, I'm hoping that David Seymour is not a highly sensitive person. Imagine a highly sensitive person being called an arrogant prick to the country. You know, how much would that term be taken on board, thought about? Would that erode someone's self esteem or not? My hope for him is that he's not a highly sensitive person and perhaps therefore. It's not necessarily water off a duck's back, but it might not have that deep pain or wound that perhaps a highly sensitive person would have. Also, highly sensitive people can overreact to things in life, be it stresses in relationships, be it work things, etc. We may read more meaning into things where that is not there, it might mean that highly sensitive people miss out on stuff because they avoid certain situations because they don't want to be overstimulated or they're fearful about how they'll feel or they'll have that feeling of, ugh, you know, like I don't want to be on edge tonight at that dinner party so I'm just not going to go. Like big numbers is too hard work.
0: Absolutely. Is it worth identifying as sensitive if you are? Like I guess how does someone know if they are sensitive, if they're not in an environment where words like this are thrown around, is it useful to discover and identify yourself as that?
1: I think it's important to identify that if you are highly sensitive. (laughs) If you're not highly sensitive, then it's not important to identify with that, terms, I think, because...
0: And you don't have to worry about it because, yeah, nothing's better or worse. It's not, being sensitive or not, it has no kind of moral judgment on it, right? Like there are challenges and positive aspects, but is it useful if you are... Well, I think knowing about it is different
1: to identifying as the term. So, you know, if you are a highly sensitive person, then this conversation is probably going to have a lot of light bulbs going off for you. It's going to be really, really helpful from a what does this mean and what does this mean about how I live. If you're not a highly sensitive person, given that up to potentially one in three people in this world are, then likelihood is someone in your family, your partner, one of your children, your co-workers, your best mate, potentially is highly sensitive. So you might not identify with it personally, but it's bloody helpful to know about it and know how to interact with people or know how to love people or manage people or, you know, be with people that are. And so I think that awareness raising is really helpful.
0: Yeah. Okay, so knowing that it is a really good idea to be aware of sensitivity, whether that's because you identify as being sensitive or because you know that up to 30% of the people around you may identify as being sensitive. Should we move on to talking about ways to navigate sensitivity in the world, whether that's you personally or sensitive people around you? What do we do, Jackie? <laughs>
1: Yeah, let's go. How do we manage that individually? And then I think it's probably quite helpful to go, how do we manage that? For example, if you're a parent and you're a highly sensitive parent, how do you manage that if you're a leader and you're a highly sensitive leader? So why don't we do personal first and then we'll do how that relates to others? Sounds great. So I think if you're a highly sensitive person, as with most things in psychology, awareness is key. Are you really aware for yourself the aspects of life that you find overstimulating? Are you the person like me that cannot have a fly in the room? So you invest in the pest services to come around twice a year and you, you know, because actually it's better to not have that irritation, you know. So are you (laughs) are you really aware of the things that drive your crackers or overstimulate yourself? And can you problem solve around that? I think from the emotional perspective, it's really important to know what hooks you. What are the things that get you or hook you? Or really, I suppose, from a negative perspective, what are the things that drain you or get in the way of life or take up too much of your time, of your mental resource, where you're having to think about things, go over it, worry about the implications of of certain interactions, etc. because we will all have vulnerabilities based on our life, on our life story, on how people have interacted with us, you know, in the past. I call them little T's, little traumas in life, because it's interesting. I'm now going to diverge for a second again, Antonia. The question comes up around high sensitivity and trauma, for example. And... Yes, if you have had a background of trauma, it makes sense, right, that perhaps your brain has coped by that or learned to survive by becoming, you know, highly sensitive, by wiring itself in a way where you're hypervigilant because it's trying to protect you in future. So for big traumas, which is what people would think about, you know, whether that be violence, whether that be sexual abuse, you know, big T's you can kind of, I think, get, most people can, why there might be a link between high sensitivity and trauma. But... We all have little T's in our life. Not everyone in this call has had a big T, a big trauma in their life. Little T's are from personal interactions. They're from our failures through their life. They're through how other people have made us feel. The example I rattle off, because perhaps I, again, can identify with it, not that it's my actual life story, but that feeling of wanting to be a high achiever is, you know, imagine the five-year-old that comes home and says to mum and dad, I got nine out of 10 in my spelling test, and the parent turns around and says, Well, why didn't you get 10? We practiced last night. And that sense of not being good enough, or, you know, being acutely aware of living up to someone's expectations. So, all of us in our life will have little t's and so if you're a highly sensitive person you'll be acutely aware of that for example you'll be aware of when that feeling gets activated in your life and if you can have awareness around that you can then problem solve about how to manage it for example are things within my control to minimize that feeling coming up for me so let's just run with that example now If I have a sense of not feeling good enough, I have control around who I choose to spend my time with in my personal life. So if there are friends, for example, in my life that put me down, that belittle me, that try and one-up me all the time, you know, do they spark that feeling of not being good enough? And therefore, you can choose how much time you spend with that person or not. Compare and contrast that to a work situation where you have no control over who your boss is or who the person you have to work in in a project with is. So then in that instance, if you're aware you've got a certain vulnerability, if you're aware it has great impact on you, you can then go, okay, well, how am I going to manage this? Can I manage that by, one, booking in meetings at a certain time where I know it will be time limited? Or can I make sure that I have breaks after those so that I can actually go and decompress and do deep breathing and try and actually get my nervous system under control? It can be learning emotional tools and I apologise if I've shared this strategy in the past, it's a go-to of mine, but do you visualise having a shit shield on when you're with that person? So it's like, actually, I see what's coming out of your mouth but I'm very aware of that and I'm not going to let your words impact me. So I can be with you but I'm not going to take on your stuff. And so, you know, if you're aware of those emotional vulnerabilities – you can problem-solve about how you might manage those so they have
0: less of a sting on you. And as part of that element, sort of surrendering or acknowledging that this trait of sensitivity probably isn't going to change, I guess what I mean is you're not going to suddenly get less sensitive. Like the same things probably will still get to you or trigger you and you still might have the same feelings about them even with awareness. The awareness doesn't stop the feeling happening. But what you're doing is learning tools to manage them or problem solve them, as you said. Because I know in the past I can beat myself up a bit if I feel like I'm not getting anywhere with something, with a challenge that I have or something that I'm trying to work on. But I think I look at it the wrong way sometimes because I I want my reactions to be less, you know, I want to be less triggered by things as opposed to just managing those reactions. Does that make sense? So I'm going to say
1: and both. Okay. So <laughs> so I think it's important to acknowledge that if you're a highly sensitive person, you'll probably be highly sensitive throughout your life. But what you're highly sensitive to, I believe personally, can change. Mm-hmm. Where I think that can change is, for example, if we talk about the sensitivity to the little teas in your life or the sensitivity to certain dynamics that perhaps you've found very difficult, you know, say it's Christmas Day family dinner table dynamics and your sister always sets you off or you've got an uncle that you find that you get really triggered by or, you know, actually with time, with mechanisms like the shield with psychology mechanisms like being able to detach yourself from situations. And some people may have heard around strategies like stand on the balcony and view people from above, like aka don't get hooked into the dynamic, watch mm-hmm. the dynamics happening. And if you mm-hmm. can give yourself perspective, even in those moments, that's a protective mechanism for yourself. You see it play out, but you don't have to play your tried and true role. If we're going to use acting terms, you know, like you may have played that role throughout your life, but you have control about whether you continue to play that part or not. And so actually, if you can remove yourself, if you can neutralize yourself in that, in that situation, then actually over time, maybe you find it impacts you less because Mm. you're not as hooked into it.
0: That's encouraging.
1: Yeah, so so I think... I will speak a personal experience with knowledge and awareness and some strategies and be that knowledge and awareness through podcasts like this or learning through books or having a bloody good therapist, you know, like I think if you can learn about yourself and practice some of these ways of unhooking yourself and protecting yourself in those times, then absolutely, I think that what you're sensitive to can shift.
0: That is really encouraging. And even when you are still sensitive to something, there are many tools in the toolbox that you can use to make those moments more manageable.
1: Yeah. And of course, right, what we're talking about now is the emotional side of this. If you're highly sensitive to temperature and heat, that's probably unlikely to ever change. <laughs> you know, that's going to be a life,
0: a lifelong
1: uh, struggle.
0: And you can just be like, like me and always sit in the shade in the summertime and in the winter, never leave the house without a coat because oh, the thought of being cold, <laughs> it terrifies me. And I also can't leave without sunglasses because that is too stressful, having to look into glare. <laughs> I do. I find it so stressful. Yeah.
1: <laughs> or maybe you move to a city where, you know, there's less extremes. You
0: know? <laughs> so it's like, yeah, there are options. You know. We're grown ups. We can th- have There's
1: options. options. I think the other thing I suppose I wanted to speak about from a personal perspective, because there's so many angles to this, right, Antonia? If you're subtle to change, then it's strategies like, you know, if you're shifting from work and home, maybe you really need a process to help you get out of work brain before you walk into the door so you can be present with your family. Like maybe for you that is really, really important so that you have time to process the day, you have time to calm your body so that you can then be present in the next setting. So, you know, transition. For example, may be important for a highly sensitive person, no matter what they're transitioning to. I always have downtime in my day. I take time, basically, to recharge. I do that through reading. I'm very open. I've spoken on lots of interviews, et cetera, around what a valuable tool reading is for me. But for me, it's a recharge, it's a transition between Mm. activities. The other big, I suppose, chunky bit to this I wanted to talk about was decision making how you make decisions as a highly sensitive person. Why is that important if you're somebody that has deep and complex thoughts, if you think about every angle of a situation, if you are worried about the impact on people and how they feel? You know, imagine the toll that takes when you make life decisions. And so I think it's really important to acknowledge if you're somebody that thinks about things from every angle to take your time, to not rush, you're probably the person that reads every piece of research, gathers, you know, half a dozen opinions from other people. You go and collate a whole lot of information and then you make a decision for yourself. And actually the research backs you up that if that's a way that, enables you to feel less anxious and more secure in the decisions you're making because you have been thorough, then it's important to know that that's your process and therefore to try and put yourself in situations where you don't have to rush those decisions. So don't make big decisions in a rush.
0: Oh, again, I feel like you are talking specifically to me, like so much so that I put on our list of potential topics decision-making. How does one make decisions yeah. in life? Because what you've just talked about is exactly my process. I just think about them like a diamond, you know, from so many angles. <laughs> a prism, which if the light's shining through it one way, it looks different to if the light's shining through it another way. Yeah, and it can be really, really stressful. So, yep, I appreciate you saying that. And I still want to do a whole episode on decision-making. But uh, anyway... <laughs> But the second step to that process
1: is, right, that you then have to be really clear on your values. You have to actually listen to your gut. Highly sensitive people talk, you know, we factor in emotions when we make decisions. And I think non-high sensitive people might try and, Convince you out of that I know I've got some non-highly sensitive people in my life And they say take the emotion out of it But actually you're not being true to your your highly sensitive self If you do that It's important that you are aware of the emotional component to that decision So it's like can you gather all that information And then I suppose take that And reflect that back on what is really important to you in your life And that I think is a process of clear and helpful decision making for highly sensitive people. The flip side to this though is highly sensitive people can become overstimulated, right? Which from a brain perspective means that some of us probably have bigger amygdalas or highly reactive amygdalas. And the amygdala is the part of your brain that runs fight or flight. So even though you might be this deep, complex thinker, in certain situations where you're overwhelmed, anxious, panicking, you probably then make bloody snap decisions fully based on emotion that you then go back and go, What the hell did I do that for? You know, and so it's this complete flip opposite to your deep diamond shaped, you know, decision making process. And then you're probably wrecked with guilt or regret afterwards because again you feel emotions largely, intensely. And so I think if you find yourself in situations where that trigger that overwhelm or anxiety, it's really important then to have some self-calming strategies to manage that. Be that breathing from your belly, be that actually learning to say, I just need a moment to think about that. Be that taking yourself for a walk around the block, having a go-to you know, I just want to run that past someone or I just need to sleep on that. i like actually been able to have some go-to sayings to nip that high amygdala reactive decision-making in the bud is probably helpful.
0: I would really love to see how big my amygdala is, Jackie. <laughs> Maybe one day I will find out. Maybe one day. Maybe one day we'll be clever enough to, you know, have
1: home scanning, you yeah. know, equipment. Ha-
0: a casual home brain scan. So uh, I think that's some great tools for individuals who want to navigate their sensitivity a bit better. Uh, Shall we move on to talking about leaders? Sure. I think actually when you look, I
1: suppose, at the narrative around leadership, highly sensitive leaders are amazing leaders. They're amazing leaders because they're aware of their people's needs, because they process deeply before they make decisions. So I, in my work, talk with organisations lots about concepts like psychological safety. To perform well, people need to feel like they can speak up, be safe in a group, have challenging conversations together well. like All of those things are really important if you're going to be- perform well. And if a highly sensitive leader is acutely aware of everyone in the room and the dynamics and the needs of the project and the people, probably they're bloody epic at managing that, right? The third stream that kind of comes through is, you know, yes, they're aware. Yes, they, you know, think deeply, but also they resonate well with people because of that kind of intuitive, emotional, acute responsiveness. People are like, they get me, they get it. I've got this amazing leader. And so from that perspective, Highly sensitive people are very valued leaders. Why I wanted to raise it is because actually when you look at the health of highly sensitive leaders, they often have greater stress themselves. Again, imagine the toll on being acutely aware of everyone in your team, on the client you need to deliver for, how we're running up against organisational values or what we stand for or, you know, the level of thought, time and effort going into the process as well as the outcome for a highly sensitive leader takes a toll. And so if you are a leader that is highly sensitive, be aware of your amazing characteristics that you bring to the role. They will be very valued, but do not burn yourself out. You know, you need to protect and nurture those positive aspects of yourself. And if we continue to look after others and not self-care, not take breaks, not block out time in the diary where you can get your recharge. If we're always saying yes to people, then you've got a a high likelihood, I think, of running yourself into the ground. And so that, I suppose, is another reminder for highly sensitive people that self-care is very critical, that rest and recovery is extremely important so that you can sustainably... Act on or utilize your skill sets.
0: That's such good advice. So, what about if you're not a highly sensitive person, but you want to be able to have close relationships with people that are? What's the best way to approach that? Because if you're not a highly sensitive person, you actually may just miss many of the cues for one that is telling you you're talking to someone who is highly sensitive or that they are struggling in some way. And that's not your fault either because that's just how you're wired.
1: <laughs> yeah. Here are my top tips. I sent these to my husband. I'm going to be <laughs> o- open. that I said, you know, <laughs> this is how you can be well married to me. <laughs> if you want to be in a relationship, have a friendship, have a connection with someone that you think is highly sensitive, what's important to remember, be really aware of your words. Words matter to highly sensitive people because of that deep complex thought. So a throwaway comment to you may be an absolutely large, entangled thought process for a highly sensitive person. It may be a deep wound. Conversely, positive feedback, praise, recognition, acknowledgement, is like amazing fuel for a highly sensitive person. So not only be aware of, I suppose, the cutting words or the judgments, but make a real effort, I think, in terms of what you acknowledge and what you see in a highly sensitive person because that will be extremely meaningful to them. If a highly sensitive person is not quite themselves, if they've gone quiet, if they're absent more than normal, likelihood is they're probably deeply processing something. Something has caught their mind. They're worried about something. They're making big life decisions. Their mood is low because they're of the impact of what's going on around them. Like check in on them. If a highly sensitive person has gone inward, it's probably a sign that something is going on for them uh, and that they are processing or overwhelmed or had too much of what's going on. So check in. Kind of check your vibe. Check your tone. Before you enter a room with a highly sensitive person, this is something we joke about in my house, you know, I will absolutely pick up on anyone's mood. And as a highly sensitive person, in the past I've interpreted that if somebody walks in and their mood is colder than normal, my first thought is what have I done and why are they upset with me? And 98% of the time it's got nothing to do with me. But as a highly sensitive person, that's my interpretation of that. So, you know, as a non-highly sensitive person, like you, don't have to be a superhero. You don't have to be perfect, but do be aware. For example, if you if it's your partner or your best friend, that your mood will have impact on that other person. So do your best to either balance that mood or communicate. Like communicate is the key here, right? Look, I know I might not see myself. I know I might be shitty today. I just want to assure you, it's not you. This is what's going on. And then a highly sensitive person can relax, right? I'm not sitting here in my ambiguity trying to come up with why you might be different. You've communicated to me what's going on. And so that being aware and communicating is so important, I think, for all relationships, but especially if someone is highly sensitive.
0: Is there ever any value in not indulging someone's sensitivity? For a sensitive person, is it beneficial ever for someone to kind of not like approach them with kid gloves or with the degree of perhaps sensitivity that they're used to so that they're not kind of shrouded in a cloud of carefulness the whole time? Like, I get what you're saying, but I think
1: my brain goes to what are you trying to achieve? And if you're trying to have a good relationship with someone and you know that their brain is neurologically wired to be highly sensitive, they're not just being particularly vulnerable, they're not being weak, they're not being needy, that's just what their brain picks up. So if you can see it in that way, that enables you, I suppose, to approach that pragmatically. Like, no, I'm not going to indulge in you that the fact that you've picked a conflict with us that's not there. Because the downside in relationships with highly sensitive people is you make a mountain out of a molehill, right? And that must be really tiring for the other person. Like, shit, this is not a bloody big deal. Let it go. You know, but if you're aware that that person is highly sensitive take that as rationale, I think, to up your comms or to, I suppose, over-communicate, which doesn't mean you have to get caught in deep and meaningful conversation about something that's not there or a conflict that's been fabricated. But it does mean, okay, I'm going to have respect that they're probably likely to pick up that I'm distracted. And so therefore, I'm going to front foot that by saying, I'm really aware I'm distracted tonight. Please don't take it personally. I'm actually thinking about work stuff.
0: I really like the word practical that you used then, like what is the practical, what is the sensible thing to do here? Because that's actually just protecting the relationship as opposed to having to decide if that sensitive person needs a bit of uh, roughing up or if you feel like you actually do need to really indulge them even more. It's actually just what is what is the thing to do to protect this relationship moving forward. But again, it's interesting
1: even that word indulge, like does that come from societal viewpoint that high sensitivity is a negative, you know, it's just, I, I think that's sometimes ingrained in terms of should we be indulging, should we be model coddling, should we be allowing people to act, be, respond this way. And I think if again, we just come at it as it's a trait, it's how someone's brain works, And it's interesting, right? Like, here's my brain on another tangent, Antonia. It's like attachment styles and relationships. I'm totally going off on a tangent now, but actually, you can retrain that as an adult in a partnership through awareness and through practical strategies. So if you're with someone that's highly sensitive or, you know, if you've got a meaningful relationship, be that romantic or not, actually... You can help that person be less sensitive in that dynamic if you have enough practice at open communication, if there is good trust, if that person isn't sitting in ambiguity. You don't want someone sitting in ambiguity that's highly sensitive. So Mm. actually, I believe through good awareness and good practical strategies and the will and want of both parties, that. You know, your earlier question of sometimes can you become less sensitive over time? Well, I think in that relationship you can if someone has helped you retrain your brain to that particular person.
0: Yeah, and you feel safer in that relationship because of that, yeah, ongoing communication. So as you mentioned before, it would be great as a a final um, relationship to touch on that of a parent and a child If you are a highly sensitive parent or if you have a highly sensitive child, because again, while there are many really positive elements of that, there are also some pretty challenging ones that I'm sure a lot of people are experiencing.
1: So in this podcast, I'm going to keep us to if you're the parent, because I think we could do a whole nother podcast on parenting highly sensitive children. (laughs) So next season, next season, tune in next season. (laughs) I'm going to narrow us into, okay, well, I suppose what are the pros and cons of being a highly sensitive parent, which we're both self-confessed highly sensitive people Mm -hmm. and we're both parents. So- I'll rattle some of the stuff off and you tell me, Antonia, how much it resonates. Sure. But I suppose if you're a deep thinker, if you have complex thought, likelihood is you're probably very conscientious as a parent and you want to do right by your kids. How much time do you spend researching the best way to get your kids to sleep or eat? How much do you think about wanting to develop your boys into kind, compassionate, worldly well-rounded people, you know, how much time or energy do you think about that? How much effort do you put into how you respond to your children, how you discipline your children? You know, the impact of what your actions or other people are going to have on them. So that conscientiousness, I think, for your kids is a major advantage. They have got a parent who overthinks how to raise me and they want to do the best by me. So most, in the most part that's a real positive. You're probably very attuned to your kids' needs. You know what they're feeling without them needing to utter a single word to you. You know, you are absolutely aware of the subtle changes to their moods, to to how they are or what they're thinking or what they're feeling, and you can pick that up, which means if you've got the right skill sets on board, you can hopefully teach them how to recognise what's going on for them. You can teach them skills to manage emotions well. You can comfort them when they need comfort. You know, like you are able to be there and do that amazingly well. And because of your awareness, your reflectiveness, both for yourself and others, you're probably very well positioned to identify what makes your children special and unique and to help them harness that. So I think there are absolutely amazing aspects for your kids when you are a highly sensitive parent. And for you as a parent, you get to enjoy them to a wonderful level of amazingness, right? Because you see their joy, you... And process it more deeply and process it more deeply. What's the negative? If your kids are having a tough time, you'll feel that and it will impact on you. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like you'll feel the hardness of what's going on for them deeply and that will be hard. If you've done something that you wish you'd done differently, you probably have great disappointment or regret or guilt, mom guilt to a more extreme level, which may impact you. You know, there is some thought that highly sensitive people lose their cool easier, you know, in terms of like if you become overstimulated and you haven't got good emotion regulation practices in place in that moment, doesn't mean you're not good in other moments, but... If you become overstimulated, overwhelmed, and you haven't caught it or been able to dial that down, perhaps you lose your cool, perhaps you yell, perhaps you're cutting or mean in your words in a way that you didn't want to be. And actually, that was the the term that I read that stood out to me, was that meanness or cuttingness that you don't want to be like. But in in that moment of overwhelm, which we all know in parenting, you can have moments like that, perhaps you act in a way you wish you hadn't. And so that's the down some of the downsides, right? I think like this whole conversation, there are pros and cons. You know, what does that mean as a parent? That means you have to take time for yourself and you have to have time for your system to regulate so it's less likely that you are overstimulated and overwhelmed. And if you're a, a mum or dad that wants to Be conscientious and do it right for your kids. You're probably driven and practiced to not look after yourself and to always put your kids first. But actually, being able to have downtime, being able to self-care, being able to have time off and boundaries is going to make you a better parent. And I think that's the case for all parents, but particularly if you are highly sensitive, where you just take on those emotions, you feel them deeply, and they have such a big impact.
0: That's such... Great advice, Jackie. And I think, yeah, what really has come out of this conversation is that we're not saying that being sensitive is better or worse. Sensitivity has had a bad rap up until now, so we want to change the conversation around that a bit, but we're not saying that if you're not a highly sensitive person, you are any less of a person. It is just two different kinds of people, two different kinds of brains processing this world that we live in. And we were probably born that way, weren't we? So we can't really do much about it, but it's about managing ourselves the best we can. And thank you so much for once again, laying out such great tips and tools that we can implement that are pretty straightforward, hard to do sometimes to find the time, but actually pretty straightforward and practical to implement on a daily basis. I think my biggest takeaway Apart from now, maybe thinking that I'm a sensitive extrovert, <laughs> is this idea of overstimulation and being able to recognize that that is a significant trigger to feeling overwhelmed, and then there's the cascade of everything else that happens when you're overwhelmed. So moving forward, I will I will definitely be so much more aware of that. I think I, I think I up to this point haven't been super conscious of that idea of overstimulation. I've been conscious of other sorts of triggers, but that's a a really great one to add to my daily awareness and to manage it. Because of course, it, it makes so much sense that if you're a sensitive person, things affect you more. You are more stimulated by the stimulation in the world. <laughs> well, thank you very much. That ended up being a far longer conversation than we intended, didn't it?
1: (laughs) Far longer. We had to actually uh, record that in halves because the program wouldn't let us talk for that long.
0: So yes, much longer than we thought. There was a lot to say, it turns out, about sensitivity, but it was really useful for me to hear. So I hope everyone who's listening, whether you are a sensitive person or you know one or two or a hundred sensitive people, that that might give you some food for thought. So Thank you, Jackie, once again. And uh, for everyone else, till next time. Ka anō. That was What Matters Most for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you did enjoy this week's episode, it would be great if you could rate, review and subscribe to this podcast as that helps let other people know that we're here. Thanks again. See you next time.